Thank you, Elliot. Thank you, Beth. Um, evening, everyone. Uh, it's really good to be with you again this evening. Um, I think it's probably um, fair to say, isn't it, that quite often uh, we're all looking uh, for a bit of peace and quiet. Um, even probably those among us who would probably count themselves as fairly kind of social people, you know, can kind of run out of social energy every now and again. Uh, we can get peopled out and we just want to sort of retreat under a blanket in front of the telly or potter about in the garden or whatever it is that kind of gives you that peace and quiet. Or go and lie on a beach somewhere, go on holiday. Uh, we all want, don't we, or I would say need those times of peace and rest and quiet. Um, and I don't know if you've ever been to uh, Minnesota uh, in the USA. Uh, I haven't. Um, but if you go to Minnesota in the USA, uh, you'll find the Orfield Laboratories. Um, and when you go there, you'll find the quietest place on earth. Uh, at the labs, uh, there is this amazing thing called an anechoic chamber. Can't even say it. an anechoic chamber. Uh, and inside this chamber, it is so quiet uh, that the longest someone has managed to last inside it, because it's so quiet, is 45 minutes. Um, it's completely silent, so silent that the background noise uh, that they use these things to measure noise with, which I don't know what they're called because I'm not a scientist, but the background noise is actually measured in minus decibel, so it's minus 0.4 dBA, if you really want to know that. Um, they can be adjusted decibels for human hearing, um, and so noise is described in this dBA or decibels A. And so just for comparison, because I can see a, a few blank faces, um, a jet taking off is 130 dBA, uh, a normal conversation is around 60, and a silent room is 20. So this chamber is minus 9.4. Uh, the founder of the labs, Stephen Orfield, because he called the labs after his name, he said, we challenge people to sit in the chamber in the dark. One person, obviously the record holder, uh, stay there for 45 minutes. When it's quiet, ears will adapt. The quieter the room, the more things you hear. You'll hear your heart beating. And sometimes you can hear your lungs or hear your stomach gurgling loudly. In the anechoic chamber, you become the sound. I don't know about you, but that doesn't kind of sound like the peace that I'm after. <laughs> I mean, my stomach makes kind of strange gurgling noises at the best of times. I think if that was all I could hear, along with my heart you know, pumping blood around my body, I don't think I'd last 45 seconds, never mind 45 minutes. Not my kind of peace. Thank you very much. But in our reading today, we find the disciples together on this day. And the doors are locked. And perhaps they're feeling fearful as reports have spread that Jesus was alive. And suddenly, Jesus appears and stands among them. And I wonder if you can just picture for a second in your minds the sort of the looks of shock and surprise, turning to joy and wonder on the faces of Jesus' faithful followers as he literally stands with them in their apprehensiveness, in their grief, in their confusion, but also at the same time, growing excitement. Jesus stands with them and says, peace be with you. So, sorry, excuse me? Is that 
We've just witnessed the most horrific death, your death on the cross. You said you were the son of God and you died. Joseph buried you. Like we came back and, 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 and you were gone and now you're here walking around like you just kind of popped out for five minutes and you've come in through a locked door and you're saying, oh, it's okay, have peace. You're in the middle of the physical and emotional turmoil and pain. Jesus not only offers his presence, but also his peace. A peace that's so difficult to fathom and put into words, but a peace that is real nonetheless. Because the peace that the Bible, and more specifically Jesus, offers us is a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's it's a peace that isn't empty and devoid of purpose and meaning. It isn't just the absence of something difficult, but it's one that transforms us and defies explanation and logic. And it's not one that you're going to find by entering a laboratory in Minnesota, because it's a peace that is freely available to all who come into a relationship with Jesus. It's a peace that is so great, so vast, so endless, that we won't fully, fully understand it this side of heaven. And yet, it is promised to each and every one of us. It isn't the peace of this world. Because the peace that this world offers is temporary. You know, go to this place, watch that movie, read this kind of new book, take up that sport, listen to this piece of music. You know, that might work for a time, but it will never last. You know, the world's peace depends on having a set of favorable circumstances. You know, if things are going well, we're peaceful. And if they're not, that peace very quickly dissipates. Earlier in John chapter 14, when Jesus is talking to his disciples and telling them of the Holy Spirit that will remain with them after he's gone, he makes the distinction between the world's wavering and temporary peace And here's constant comfort. He tells them, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. And if we choose to place our full confidence in God, that peace is ours. And even better, Philippians 4 tells us that this peace from God will guard our hearts and our minds in Jesus. We don't need to be worried or anxious about anything because God's peace is promised to guard those who pray with thanksgiving about everything. And of course, clinical anxiety is an extreme form of anxiety. And I'm certainly not saying to people who are suffering in that way, oh, just kind of, you know, simply pray harder. It doesn't work like that, and it is totally reasonable and appropriate to know Christ and to see a counsellor or a medical professional. It is to say, though, that when we place our confidence in God, we can be thankful in every circumstance and every season of life. And his promise for us is a supernatural peace. It's one that we can't fully explain or fathom. 
You know, I wonder if, you've, if you follow Jesus and if you've ever had anyone say to you, oh, I, just, I don't know how you can stay so calm. I don't know how you're kind of just so chilled when all of this stuff is happening. You just seem kind of just happy. You just seem so hopeful. And maybe they then add, and it's also really annoying. You know, they just can't understand why you're so hopeful and at peace. And as followers of Jesus, our hearts and minds can be guarded by this peace, despite the storms that might be raging in our lives. Despite the turmoil that we might be going through. You know, Jesus could have gone anywhere and done anything after his resurrection. He could have traveled to the ends of the earth if he wanted to. You know, clearly locked doors and stone walls are no barrier, so distance wouldn't be either. You know, Jesus is the Son of God. He's risen from the dead, so the confines of standard physicality don't apply to him. He could have gone literally anywhere, but he chooses to come to his people. He chooses to come to his friends. And he chooses and will forever choose to come to you and to me, wherever we are, however far we may feel that we've gone from him. He chooses to be present with us. You know, his friends deserted him. And so probably expected kind of quite a lot of you know, rebuke and a bit of telling off and maybe kind of a bit of blame. You know, where were you? Didn't you learn anything from my time with you? You Did I even mean anything to you? But no. Jesus instead brings peace. Reconciling. Restorative peace. And I think the first time that we hear Jesus offer this peace, it's probably more likely something along the lines of, you know, it's okay, it's me. It's, It's reassuring. He knows them all so well. He knows that suddenly appearing when they're in a fragile state is probably going to be unnerving, to say the least. You know, he knows they'll need more to ground them in the moment. And so he shows them his hands and his sides to prove it's really him. He doesn't come to tell them off, to offer them a way to understand more deeply the doctrine of salvation. And he simply offers himself. He invited, invited them to touch his wounds because he is real. And he, what he offers them and is about to offer them is also real. Because now he offers them peace once again. If Jesus offers peace maybe just once, then it means something. It's brought something. Scripture tells us that it's significant, transformative peace. And now Jesus offers peace once again which means something larger and even more significant is coming. One commentator writes this, he had faced and defeated all the forces which destroy the peace of man. As he said, peace be unto you. He was doing indefinitely more than expressing a wish. He was making a declaration. He was imparting a blessing. He was declaring that peace is yours because your sins are forgiven. Peace is yours because the slavery to sin is broken. Peace is yours because Jesus takes your fears and your cares upon himself. And peace is yours because your life 
and course of your life is settled for eternity. And it has to be ours first, doesn't it? It has to be because how else are we going to tell others about this amazing Jesus and the peace and the transformation and the everlasting hope if we first don't know it and experience it and hold it for ourselves? You know, we can't operate out of something we don't have. We can't advocate for something that we haven't experienced or don't want for ourselves, not with any real degree of authenticity and integrity. You know, I don't know about you, but I want to be someone of authenticity and integrity. I think our church needs it. I think our nation needs it. I think our world needs it. And I think actually, if we're honest, we probably have a bit of a crisis of integrity in our society at the moment. And I think followers of Jesus are able to carry that integrity and a sense of hope into communities and workplaces and homes and make a lasting impact for the better in a way that nothing else can. And I think that because Jesus tells us that. In verse 21, it says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. We're sent in the same way that Jesus was. Not as a philosopher, although Jesus knew higher higher philosophy than all of the philosophers in the world. Not as an inventor, not as a conqueror, although Jesus was mightier than any earthly ruler. Jesus was sent to teach, to live among us, to suffer for truth and righteousness, and to rescue all of humanity. And so Jesus breathes on his disciples and gives them the Holy Spirit, the one who will remain with them in order that they would be empowered and encouraged for all that he'd asked them to do. And John deliberately draws a a connection here between this breathing on the disciples and when God breathed life into the first human being at creation. This, This imparting of the Holy Spirit is a work of recreation. The disciples were made new, born again, so that they would be equipped for the work they were being called to do. This is the same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus. The same Spirit that empowered and enabled all that he said and did. And it's a spirit of authority, forgiveness, and it is given to us and the church for everyone. And so I'd love for us all to pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit this evening. You know, some of us might not be kind of up for that, and that is totally fine. But Jesus meets us where we are. He doesn't force anything on us. But if you've listened to tonight and you've thought, do you know what, maybe I'd, just, I'd love to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled, refilled. And, and know God's transformative presence in your heart. And then we just want to make space for that. And so the band are going to come up. They're going to begin to play. And we want to make space to invite the Holy Spirit into our hearts. You know, Thomas, who was one of Jesus' disciples, who walked and talked with Jesus when he was here on earth, he wasn't, he wasn't too sure. And if he wasn't sure that Jesus had come back from the dead and wanted to give him this gift then I think it's okay for us to kind of not be so sure. Jesus doesn't 
despair of Thomas for his unbelief and his skepticism. You know, he comes back and he offers his peace once again and he grants Thomas the evidence that he was demanding. The resurrected Jesus offers us nothing but graciousness and love and kindness. He wants us to move from doubt and unbelief to faith, of course. But he meets us exactly where we are, so gently and so kindly. And sometimes, as we sung earlier, we sometimes we just kind of think, oh, I've just got a hallelujah. I've just got the kind of the smallest amount of joy or praise or the smallest ability. But that's okay. That's okay. In the presence of Jesus, Thomas believed. And we can know God's presence and his peace tonight in this space. They come together, the presence and the peace. And they overcome any doubt and unbelief if we choose to invite them into our lives. And so we're going to pray first, and then we're going to have a time of worship. And there'll be some people here at the front to pray. Feel free to, to stay as you are, to ask someone next to you to pray. But we would love to, to pray with you this evening. So if you're able to, can I invite you to stand?